received up, talking about Jesus, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the opportunity that I have to uh, do this little Bible study and try to help help others glean from your word, Lord. I just pray that you would use me and that um, I would be completely yielded up to your spirit, Lord, and uh, to be used however, however he wants me to be used, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that um, it would be simple and easy to understand, Lord, and that we would all go home tonight with something in our hearts that we want to do more better for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this this passage, Luke chapter number 9, and verse 51 through 56, I've always, I've always kind of thought, um, I don't know about you, but reading about this, I've always kind of thought, you know, that somehow James and John, you know, it was unfair to them because, you know, Elias got to do it. Uh, you know, Elias, as in Elijah, he, people came to him, and uh, in James and John's eyes, it just looked like some people came to Elijah, and Elijah was a knight of them, so then he called fire on them, and they zapped them, and poof, and now James and John were wanting to do the same thing, and, and Lord Jesus stops them. And the title of my message, my um, it's more of a Bible study than a, a message, but the the title that I called it is, Can I Zap Them Now? Can I Zap Them Now? You know, uh, I think there's some people in this, in this, you know, community, in this nation, and in the world that we would think, you know, we, we've thought in our minds, you know, couldn't we, God, could you just, could you just, you know, you know, do what Elijah did and zap them? You know, it, they're not doing anything for us. They're not doing anything for the world. They're not, they're hurting you, God. Um, and they're hurting us. Um, so let's just take a look, in, and I dissected this um, in some points, and you don't have to follow along with the points. I just did it for my own benefit. But um, first of all, let's just look at verse 51, and I, call, I would call this the rejection. Uh, and it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and set messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as low he would go to Jerusalem. Uh, here we, Jesus and his disciples are actually in Samaria. And they're actually going to make their way down to, down to Jerusalem. Because as it says um, in verse 51, the time was come that he should be received up. Now what, was, what does that mean? Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. His, his final trip. I mean, this was this is his, his trip. He's making his way towards his crucifixion. And he asked his disciples, uh, asked messengers, we don't know if they're actually his disciples, he asked messengers to go into this Samaritan village and to make ready for him, to, to get a place for him to stay. But the people of the village wouldn't receive him, wouldn't have anything to do with him because 
they obviously saw that they were headed to Jerusalem and Samaritans and Jews did not get along. But he was on his way to Jerusalem for the purpose of dying. Isn't it a shame that the Samaritans didn't realize that Jesus Christ was on his way to Jerusalem so then he could save them? You know, he sent out messengers. Um, you know, I wonder what, I just can't but wonder what the messengers told them. I mean, because obviously, just from the messengers, the Samaritans found out that they were on their way to Jerusalem and that they were Jews. But um, why didn't the messengers tell them, hey, Jesus Christ is on his way down to Jerusalem? Yes, but he's actually on his way down to Jerusalem so then he can die for your sin. He can die, but even, but the problem was, is even Jesus' own disciples and people who followed him didn't really seem to, it didn't really seem to register in their mind that Jesus was actually going to die for, die on the cross and be raised again the third day. Earlier in the, earlier in the chapter, um, Jesus told them over and over again, verse 44, let these sayings sink down into your ears for the son of man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Hey, he's, he's telling them in, before, so why don't, it's just sad that they didn't, that they, because it wasn't necessary that they rejected him. They rejected him because, uh, as in verse 50, 53, and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. They saw something and they immediately assumed something, so then they wouldn't allow Jesus Christ to enter into their village. Um, so that's the rejection. Moving on, uh, secondly, we see the reaction, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Um, and here's where we get to, the, get to the, the big question. Why? Sure, Jesus gave an answer in, in verse 55 56. You know, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives. But there's people that want to say that, that you know, uh, we're, this was in a different age. That's why Jesus was showing more mercy and love versus law and truth. But as in the Bible as a whole, what, let's take a look at Second Kings chapter 1 and see exactly what transpired there. Why was, why was Elijah not guilty? Why, why was Elijah not condemned for doing what he did? But if James and John were to do it, then they would be blamed for it. Well, let's turn to, again, 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1, where this story takes place. Um, you know, first of all, let's just say, you know, let's just get this across that we did not, when I got saved, I, I did not get saved with, so that, with the understanding that once I'm saved, now I can zap people, you know. You know, that's not the reason why you, that's not the reason why the disciples should have been following Christ, is so they can bring fire down on Elijah. Um, there's more to it than that. And as Jesus pointed out, there's a big picture. People need to be saved. That's the big picture. And we can see that also even not, not super clearly, but still it's, there's hints in this story in Second Kings that point to the way to heaven, to that point to what Jesus did for them. Let's start reading verse 1 of Second Kings chapter 1. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. 
And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber and was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a god in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. Let's stop there for a minute. Ahaziah was the son of Ahab. Now, Ahab, Ahab was not on good terms with God. He served Baal, and mainly because his wife was Jezebel. But him and his wife had this son named Ahaziah, and he was a wicked king. He was even more wicked than Ahab. And he fell down through Latisse. It's probably just the upper porch. And he fell down, actually, through it and was sick. And he sent messengers and said, go inquire of God. No, that's not what he said. Go inquire of Beelzebub, the, the god of Ekron, little g god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Um, so Samaria is up here. Jerusalem is right here. So Samaria is where Ahaziah fell down. Jerusalem is right here. Jerusalem is right here. Ekron is right here. So Ahaziah told his people, hey, go to Ekron and inquire of Beelzebub. But Jerusalem is closer. Now, what, what's at Jerusalem? The tabernacle at this time, right? Temple, right? Actually, yeah, it was the temple at that time. So they, Ahaziah despised God so much that he would rather have them, I mean, he's sick, he might be dying. He would rather have his messengers go a further distance to inquire of a false god rather than Jerusalem, the true god, and uh, receive, receive advice, receive help. You know, three, I'll give you three reasons why, why Elijah wasn't guilty in, in consuming them with fire. Now, number one, it was because of their actions. This was not just the Samaritans in Luke chapter 9 rejected Jesus, because they saw him going to Jerusalem. But over here in Second Second Kings chapter one, this is not just rejection; this is rebellion. They knew that there was a true God, and yet they're going to a false god out of rebellion towards God. And so the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, verse three: Go rise, go up to meet the messengers messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them. Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub? Is the reason why you're going to this false God because there's no true God? Of course not. There is a true God. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. And when the messengers turned back unto him, unto him being the king Ahaziah, he said unto them, Why are you now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, Go, turn again unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he that which came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, 
He was an hairy man and girt within a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Hey, you know what? King Isaiah didn't have the excuse of saying, well, I don't know who the prophet is. He just, he, the people just described him and he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. You know, even Ahab with his wicked ways and his wicked wife, even Ahab inquired of Micaiah, the son of Imlah, God's prophet. Even, even Ahab sent for God's prophet. Ahaziah was so bent on not following God that even though he knew Elijah was there, he went to Ekron. His actions. The king would rather have pagan advice than God's. This wasn't just rejection, this was rebellion. So Elijah passed God's judgment. And I just can't but think, but wonder, what if, what if Ahaziah would have sent for Elijah and asked of Elijah if he would recover from the disease? You know, it's possible that Ahaziah could have lived longer than he did instead of just the end of the chapter. You know, people reject God, then they're mad at him when they have to pay the consequences. And it's also crazy to me how people, atheists, whatever, you know, don't want to give God the glory in life. They despise God. They don't want, and even if they don't despise God, they just don't include God in their life. Anything good that happens to them in their life, God wasn't a part of it. But then when something bad happens, they all know who to blame. I mean, if you don't believe me, just watch one of them stub their toe. What's the first things out of their mouth? I mean, they all know who to blame, but they all don't know who to give the credit to when something right happens. So their actions, their, the re, reason Elijah was okay in doing what it is was number one because of their actions. That's probably the most obvious one. Their actions, it was rebellion against God. That's their, let's read again in verse 9. Then the king sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to him. And behold, he sat on the top of a hill. Elijah sat on the top of a hill. And Ahaziah sent his captain. And his captain had 50 men under him. And they came to the hill where Elijah was sitting. And he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. And Elijah answered and said, to the captain of fifty, if I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and, let, and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again also he sent unto him another captain of fifty with his fifty. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus, saith the king, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. You know, just looking at this, I'm thinking if you're the second captain, you might want to try a different approach. Um, but so first of all, their actions were wrong. Their rebellion against, it was rebellion against God. But secondly, their attitude was wrong. Their attitude was wrong. They came to Elijah the captain and his 50, and obviously the captain and his 50, I mean, if a captain and 50 men, 50 of his soldiers come to you, you know, they probably weren't saying, Elijah, it's tea time. 
you know, they're, they're coming. They're soldiers. They're coming with weapons. This is not, this is not, oh, we just want to have a friendly chat. No, their attitude was in defiance against God. It was, again, rebellion against God. Instead of humbling himself, the king got mad and set out to squash God. You know, is that possible? No. Um, You know, now, snap, snap, get to it. Their attitude was one of pride, arrogance. You know, is it ever okay to demand things of God? You know, the, the Bible, you can, you can claim God's promises. But it's never okay to demand things from God because God's God. He'll give you what he decides to give you. We can ask him. That's where prayer is. You know, how are we supposed to come to God? You know, and then read, continue reading. Let's read verse 13. And he sent again a captain of the third 50 with his 50. And the cap, third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 and thy servants be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let, thy, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with them. Be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. And then they came to the king, and sure enough, the king died, according to God's word, Elijah's word. But notice in verse 13, you know, where was Elijah in the previous verses? Elijah was sitting on the top of a hill. And the two captains said, come down quickly. Verse 13, look at it. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. They went up the hill the third time. And said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. You know, so they say that the age of grace or whatever is in the New Testament. And that's the reason why God was merciful. And Elijah had every right to zap these people because it was judgment. No, the truth is, they did receive mercy. They did receive mercy. The third captain finally got it figured out. He went up to Elijah on his knees, humbly, asking him to spare his life. You know, when we got saved, we didn't come to God proud, arrogant, you know, at least I hope you didn't. Um, we might want to talk later. But he came humbly. I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 of thy servants be precious in thy sight. You know, and that, just go, that, that doesn't just go for unsaved people, that goes for saved people. Humbly before God. Is it ever okay to demand things of God? You know, um, I think of Job. Now, Job was a man that was that was perfect in the sight of God. There wasn't anything in Job's life that disappointed God. But Job still made a mistake. Job was hurting. Job was grieving. He had no idea what just happened to him after God stripped him away of everything that he had. And so he started questioning God. 
Now, questioning God is not a bad thing if you're doing it in a sincere heart. But there is something wrong when you start questioning God and then demanding answers. Because you don't need to demand answers. God will tell you what he wants you to know. Ask God. You know, and that, uh, that's, I believe, was Job's problem. You know, I mean, and I don't blame Job. You know, Job, Job lost everything. You know, people even say that Job lost so much, he even lost the last letter off of his name. Uh, if you don't get that, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Job lost it all. But he started, he started demanding things from God. And you know what? At the end of the book, Job says, I mean, God said to Job, just let me be God. Just let me be God. Hey, the mountains are mine. The valleys are mine. The storms are mine. The water is mine. Just let me be God. Job had to learn that. Um, you may say, well, wait. Doesn't Hebrews 4.16 say, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need? Where's humility in that? Well, think about it. You can be, you can, it's possible... Because the Bible also says in James, um, God resisteth the proud, but give a grace unto the humble. Wait, so how can you come boldly and humbly at the same time? Well, I'm not a dad yet. Hopefully I'll, I'll be one day. But when, when I'm a father, I want my children to come to me boldly. I don't want my children to not come to me because they're scared of asking daddy for something. But I also want them to come to me Say, you know, with, with the knowledge that if I tell them no, I know best. And it's absolutely in my power to give it to them. That's humbly. I want them to come boldly, but you can still be, come boldly and still be humble. Knowing that God's in control. So why was Elijah all right in doing what he did? Well, because of their actions, because of their attitude. Thirdly, because of their accountability. Their accountability. Look at me in verse 9. The first captain, thou man of God, the king hath said, come down. They were accountable because they knew who he was. You know, when looking at this, we may see, oh, of course, they, their actions were wrong. Of course, their attitude was wrong. But think about it, their accountability. They didn't come to Elijah not knowing who Elijah represented. They came and defiantly said, thou man of God, come down. If they really believed seriously that he was a man of God, they would have never said that to him. But they knew who he was, and they were openly rebelling against him. So Elijah, out of zeal, did what he did. They knew, and yet they didn't care. So what did Elijah do? He called their accountability out and proved that what they already knew was indeed real. Three reasons. Their actions, their attitude, and their accountability. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter number 9. 
chapter number 9. We see the rejection, then we see the reaction and why Elijah was right in doing what he did, was justified in doing what he did. And then we see, lastly, the rebuke. In verse 50, and oh boy, I'm in Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 9 and verse 55. Let's read 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. See, Elijah, Elijah was justified in doing what he did because of their actions, their attitude, their accountability, but also because Elijah's mindset, his attitude... He was doing it out of zeal for God. James and John, they were offended. They were annoyed. You know, it's one thing to defend God. It's another thing to defend me. What we stand for. Jesus turned around and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. So right there, Jesus stood up for Elijah. Hey, Jesus said, hey, I gave Elijah power to do that because he had the right spirit. He was, he was zealous for me. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. The fourth reason. Elijah's zeal for God. You know, obviously there was a difference between James and John's Spirit and Elijah's. Um, you know, it wasn't Jesus' purpose. You know, Elijah's zeal for God was God's purpose. You know, Elijah went down the third time because the angel of the Lord told him to. Elijah was operating off of God's orders. There wasn't anything personal about it. He was doing it because he sincerely believed God wanted him to do it. We should sincerely believe that God wants us to see other people saved. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You know, if anybody should have known Christ's purpose, it should have been his disciples, as already said in the, in the, in the introduction. The, the disciples should have known we are not here to zap people. We are not here to defend and tell the Samaritans why they're wrong, that they're Samaritans, and why we're right because we're Jews. No, because all of that is going to be, that, that line, that distinction is all going to be erased when Jesus dies on the cross. So, in, in 2 Kings, the ungodly knew a lot. The ungodly knew a lot, and they were accountable for it. They hid a reason why Elijah brought fire on them. They knew who they were talking to. They knew a lot and received consequence, consequences for it. So what about Christians? In closing, what do you know? What do you know that God wants you to do, but you're not doing it?
You know, I think one of the greatest problems in Bible-leaving churches is just that. We know the Bible more than we do the Bible. It's a matter of your education exceeding your obedience. You know what God loves? Somebody who learns a little, learns a little, obeys the same. Learns a little more, obeys the same. I think we have a lot of Christians that know a lot. And they're obeying just about that much. But they think there's something special because they know a lot. When actually somebody who's down here at the same plane is better off than they are. Does your education exceed your obedience? Matthew fifteen eight says, The people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. James one twenty two, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. You know, um, part, this is probably the main reason why I chose this message is because New Year's is around the corner. And New Year's resolutions is one of those things that it's kind of, it kind of went out now, but it's still sticking around. Everybody kind of knows what they are. New Year's resolutions. You know what a New Year's resolution is? Sadly, sadly, it makes a liar out of a lot of people. Um, a New Year's resolution often things that, actually, all the time, New Year's resolutions are things that you want to start doing that you know you already should have been doing. So as a Christian, you know, I'm not t- asking you to make a New Year's resolution. I'm just asking you, with each new day, start doing what you already know you should have been doing. You know, so many times we sit in church wanting to learn something new. You know, we're excited and we want to learn something new. And then when God shows us something new, we're like, yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. Maybe now I know why the pastor's family does that. Instead of taking it home and saying, oh, that's for me to do. That's not just for somebody else to do. That's not just for me to know. It's for me to do. You know, don't be so focused and don't be so focused on even learning something new until you know you're already doing everything that you know is right. Um, you know, just because, the, you know, how do I say this? The, some, things, some things that the pastor's family does is not because the pastor's family is called to do that. And we have some sort of special spotlight on us and we just got this calling to, to do this. You know what the pastor's family should be doing? Is, is just doing what the Bible says, what the Bible, what God wants for everybody. It's not just the pastor's family. So don't view the pastor's, and I'm using the pastor's family just because that's what, Oftentimes, the pastor's family is the leader, the example for the rest of the church. But they're not an example just to look at. They're an example to follow. James 4.17 Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, I've been, uh, over the summer, I was pounding that into into our young people's heads. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him in his sin, we may not 
be doing something completely wrong and sinning and doing, going against the Ten Commandments or any other sin that's mentioned in the Bible. But if you or I are doing something, are not doing something that we know we should be doing, that's sin too. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. Not just something that you should be doing, something that you just know is good for you. Is it good for you to be in church every time the doors are open? So be in church every time the doors are open. Is it good for you to do certain things? Of course. The Bible wants everybody to be a soul winner. Commands us, the Great Commission. So is everybody striving to be a soul winner? And if you're not, the reason why we have Saturday visitation is to help us become better soul winners. It, Saturday visitation is not for the expert soul winners to get together and go out soul winning. It's for people who want to follow God's great commission, get together and try to follow God's great commission. And learn from it and do it. Collating, church is going, tithing, teaching how you dress, how you conduct yourself. Uh, an evangelist that comes here often told me this, that said it, and it makes sense. You, you know, so many people, they argue, well, that's just Old Testament law. Well, okay, it's Old Testament, but look closely when the Old Testament says that this or something or principle is an abomination to God. Because certain things were, yes, Old Testament law. But those things that are an abomination to God, that's something God hates. Now, does God ever stop hating something? No. So if you find something that's an abomination in the Old Testament, it's good for the whole entire Bible. It's good for your whole entire life because God hates it. If you see something in the Bible that says in its abomination, better be doing it or not doing it. You know, you may say, well, I don't know much. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baby Christian. I don't know much. Well, you know how you got saved. You know, my, Bob, my dad says it over and over. You know how you got saved. You know how, to, how you got saved, so surely you know how somebody else can get saved. You know, in Luke chapter number 9, James and John received even more rebuke than the Samaritans who rejected Jesus Christ not letting Jesus stay with them. You know, what were James and John doing with what they knew? They should have known that Jesus was for everybody. That he, he came into the world not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But look at verse 54, verse, in chapter 9. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Look at, point your eyes at, saw this. You know, something tells me that I've got a feeling, and because the way it's worded, it looks like James and John weren't the messengers. The messengers came back and told Jesus, and James and John saw it, and they got mad. James and John were spectators. They weren't messengers. 
You know, instead of, instead of getting mad at the outcome, why didn't they themselves go to the Samaritan village? Hold on a second. Don't you realize who Jesus is? Don't you realize he's come? He's coming. He's going to Jerusalem to save you? Instead of sending back in, oh man, we, not, we need to zap him. God, can we do it? Don't complain about, Christian, don't complain about somebody. Unless you personally have done all you can to bring them to Jesus. Why didn't they go themselves? We can complain about people rejecting Jesus. But we ourselves are the ones that are supposed to go out and do it ourselves. We are the ones. James and John had no excuse. Jesus did not have James and John trailing so then they could just see stuff. Yes, that was a part of it. But there was a point when Jesus wanted them to go do it themselves. You know, that reminds me back in John chapter 4. This is after John chapter 4. But John chapter 4, Jesus goes and sits by the well. And the, and the woman came to the well. And Jesus had actually sent his disciples into the village before he sat by the well. And the woman came and she got, ran and came back with a multitude. The disciples came back with food. And Jesus was telling them, basically rebuked them because don't you see you know the disciples came back with food hey we got the food let's eat and and Jesus was like wait this is don't you see what I'm doing this is way more important than what you guys got why do you think Jesus sent the disciples into the village in the first place to get food yes but didn't they tell anybody about Jesus in the city I mean we're Jesus' messengers So let's just stop thinking about ourselves and how we're being annoyed and we're being offended and God needs to zap those people. Christian, what do you know? What are you doing with what you know? You're accountable for what you know. You're not accountable for what you can't control. What do you know? You're going to be judged by it. Be a messenger, not a spectator. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for uh, this truth that's in your word, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that um, that you were working through it, Lord, the message, and that we would we would all take seriously what we know. And as this new year approaches, Lord, that we would um, resolve, Lord, and ask for your help to do what we already know we should be doing. And if we've forgotten stuff that we know we should be doing, Lord, that you would remind us and that we would apply it quickly to our lives. Spread Lord, that we would be messengers, not spectators, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.